the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, Hunda Amen. We're still studying the book of James, chapter 4. And if you guys remember, St. James is dealing with problems that people are having in the church. And last time he told them, you know, what's the reason of all the problems you're having in chapter 4? He said, the issue comes back to pride. And pride is making you want something that you can never have. And he talking today to them about what's the solution. And we said last time God spoke to them about solution to be humility and grace. Right now, St. James is going to talk a little bit more about humility. Okay, so we'll start from uh, verse 7. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, St. James is saying, therefore submit to God. Submission to God is a decision that I take. And the humble person can easily submit to God. Can easily forgive. Can easily give while they're happy. Can easily be honest. Can easily work for eternity can easily also do great things. You guys know like one of the most humble people in the scripture was Moses the prophet. And what happened? God told Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people, my people go. And by the way, this is not an easy thing to do because basically what God is telling Moses, go to the most powerful man in the world and tell him, I'm going to take all your labor force away. I'm going to have no labor. And let them go. And because Moses was submitting to God, he listened and he was able to do something so courageous that nobody else can do. So the person who submits himself to God it means that God can work within him or her as much as God wishes. Can do great miracles through them. And can do great works through them. And then St. James says what? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is very important. God has given us power over the devil. It's not like the devil does not have control over you. Some people say, I'm scared of the devil. The devil made me do this. The devil made me do that. God has given you power over the devil. Resist him. Say no to him. Make the sign of the cross. Say the prayer, the arrow prayer. People who submit to God and are humble are very courageous when they're fighting the devil. So it is a command to resist the devil, to resist him. And God has given us the ability to resist him. And then he says, draw near to God. He's saying, God is waiting for you to come closer to him. What happens is, sometimes, for example, people stop their sinful acts. 
but they never adopt spiritual habits. And somebody be like, when I'm doing good, I stopped smoking, I stopped drinking, I stopped social media, I stopped doing this. And then what? What is the next step? It's a commandment that God has given us to draw near to Him. To draw near to Him. And one of the authors I read to a while ago, he said, God is closer than you think. God is closer than you think. And all the goodness that God has given us, He has put it within us. He's just waiting for us to accept the channels that He's giving us so we can see Him. And then He says, Cleanse your hand, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double minded. This is, by the way, the solution to the problems that's happening in the church. What is the solution? The solution is people got used to having dirty hands and the same dirty hands they lifted up to God in prayer. Hands that are full of sin and full of self-righteousness and full of hypocrisy and they lifted up to God. People are having no clear sense of direction and God is saying you're double-minded you're double-minded people St. James is saying basically the problem of the people of the church they want to be part of the church while they're keeping sinful habits in their life and he's saying you need to purify your hands you need to purify the sense of direction you have you can't have both. He's talking to what? People in the church. And it's, it's really, by the way, this is truly a problem. Because you see a lot of people in the church talking about how we should have great faith and we trust God and do all this stuff. But everything is overcalculated. And we run the church as if we're running a corporation. can't have both. can't work that way. can't work that way. You can't be double-minded in that way. You can't be like, oh, I want to bring people to God. And, you, and you're using, you're depending so much more on your advertisement skills and what you do and all this stuff. What happened to the word of God itself? The problem is, it's not, you're not going to get people. The problem is you're not going to have transformation. You'll have busy churches, but empty hearts. And that's what God said. That's what St. James is saying. Purify but your hands. And then he says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. The problem is, is because the sins that we have as the people of the church are sins that we got so used to them 
but they became so normalized, became part of our life. There's a sense of self-righteousness that takes people's heart. They're saying there is a requirement of true and deep repentance. That's why St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7 10, he says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. The worldly sorrow brings death. By the way, just I want to explain something before I move on. In the, in the time of St. James in antiquity, people usually looked at sorrow and lament and weeping in relationship to death. And actually, lamenting and weeping, it was more of a ritual act. So you can actually go out there and hire a group to lament at a funeral. Just like you hire a group to sing at a wedding, you can hire a group to lament at a funeral. So a lot of the screaming and the crying and all this stuff is stuff you paid for. It's a ritual. Okay? And actually, many philosophers in the time of antiquity, in the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, they were asking, is mourning justifiable? Or is it something for those who are uneducated? Because they're saying that mourning is not only response to death, but it's an expression of fear of death. So those who are uneducated are the ones who mourn. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ in the, in the, in the same one the said, what, blessed are those who mourn. Laughter in the scripture is associated with a fool, with a stupid person. This is the scornful laughter of the fool. Now, Lord Jesus Christ in Luke said, Woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. What is he saying here? There are some people who are laughing to distract themselves from the reality of life. They live a delusion, a superficial joy. They're not living the truth that God wants them to live, but they're living a deception. And all their life, the deception has taken over them. And they're not living the real life that God wants them to live. Delusion. Deception. And that sometimes you see people over laughing too much or trying to hide their true selves under uh, uh, like a, a personality, a persona. Like, oh, this is so cool. This over-exaggeration over of everything. A life of delusion. Why? Because they don't want to face the truth. You guys remember in Daniel 5, in the story of Belshazzar? What happened in the story of Belshazzar? The enemy was coming to attack his empire and he was just losing, and what did he do? He had a big party, and he took the vessels of the temple of the Lord, and he ate and drank in it. To try to show people that there's no issue. We're winning. Life is good. I'm happy. Are you really happy? 
deep inside, are you really happy? Yeah, I'm happy. Look, we have the vessels. We have evidence of our success in the past. And then what happens? And God's awarding on the name on the on the wall, hand wrote on the wall, and he was his life to be taken that day, and his kingdom was be taken by the Persians. The Bible says, "Let your laughter be turned into mourning." Every time we take the gifts of God and not and not live the reality. We are doing exactly that. Somebody graduates, God have worked with them to give them a special blessing of education. And then in their graduation party, there wouldn't be even a single prayer to thank God. Not a single word for God. Not a single offering for God. People of the church got used to have planning for weddings and easily sinful acts afterwards. Bachelor parties, exactly as if this of the world. And God is, St. James saying, laments and mourn. Because you're double-minded. When one heart is in the world and the other hands and the other hearts in the church, it can't work. It can't work. It's a deception. Have you told me I'm, I'm half half? I'll tell you, you are walking with the devil because this is how the devil does. He gives you a small piece of the truth and, a, and the rest is lie. So when you're living a double life, you are living a life of the evil, not the life of God. And he's given him different levels. He says, it's more like, first of all, you, you cry. It's more of a bit of a discomfort that my life is off. Then mourning, now you discover kind of you wasted your life, your time. And then lament, it's more like a whole cleanness that happens. St. James is saying, a lot of Christians are slipping into a life of casual sin, thinking that everything will be okay. And then St. James is saying, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Humble yourself in the light. This verse is really quite unique. People walk through the doors of the church. How do you see yourself walking through these doors? I am doctor so and so. I have on a shirt that I got for whatever that much money. I can't wait for people to check out my car afterwards. Can't wait for people to hear my beautiful voice when I'm singing in the church. You walk through these doors. Is there a sense of humility? Is there a sense of recognizing my own spiritual poverty in the sight of the Lord or no? That's why when the tax collector stood in front of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, stood in front of God, he told him, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And this became the prayer of the church for generations. 
God lifted him up. I'll tell you guys something. Humility and faith are very connected. Because if you pray and you truly believe deep in your heart that God is listening, there is no way you're not going to be humble. Pride comes from the lack of faith. Lack of faith. And that's why in the scripture it says what? It is impossible to please God without faith. Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Well, your direction of prayer won't be there. The goal won't be there. Humility won't be there. Self-awareness won't be there. Nothing will be there. Chaos, complete disorder. One of the, one of the Western uh, uh, church fathers who's, who's kind of taught in monasticism, he gave like kind of a ladder of humility. And I thought it was very useful because he highlighted a few things. I'm just going to go through the points he made quickly. He said the first step of the ladder of humility is the fear of God related to faith. And by the way, the word fear of God and worshiping God was used interchangeably in the Old Testament. Those who worship are the ones who fear, and those who fear are the ones who worship. Simply recognizing the existence of God puts inside of you the fear of God. Simple as that. For the devil, because there's no salvation, there's no end goal. But for us, we have salvation. Uh, the devil, in the presence of God, he trembles. That's the first, first act, the first step of humility. And then the second step of humility is giving up your own will giving up your own opinions, which we always think my opinions will serve the world, will save the world. But in reality, what saves the world is your character and your prayer, not your opinions. And in the third step, he said, obedience to authority. A lot of times, we love complaining about people above us. Complain about my teacher, complain about my boss, complain about my head servant, complain about the priest, complain about the bishop, complain about the pope, complain about the president, complain about the... Everybody. Obedience to authority. Number four, it says endurance and hardship. When difficulties come, I know that I am alone. I'm not alone. So therefore I can endure. 
Number five, humility in speech. Somebody can, when he speaks, you find him gentle, humble, recognizes that God is there, God exists. Number six, contentment with the lowest and most minimal tasks. Some people believe that every small task, no matter what, is a chance for them to serve God and a chance for them to please God. Some monks like Abuna Fanus, for example, was known to be the person at the beginning of his monasticism who cleans the bathroom of the monastery. And by the way, that time, at that time in Egypt, you have hundreds of people that come. The bathrooms are very disgusting. They would go in and clean the bathrooms when nobody is watching. Contentment with the lowest and most minimal task. And somebody comes and be like, how can I grow in service? What do you want? A promotion? I want to go from uh, middle school to high school. I feel like I, I'll do better in high school. What I want to be now, but I've been serving for many years, I should be a head servant. There's a big red flag, question mark about humility. Are you content with the lowest and most minimal task or no? Number seven is confession of faults. A humble person is easily can admit their mistake and confess and can go apologize no matter who they are. No matter who they are. Number eight is self-denial. Number nine is silence. The humble person, even though a lot of times he has a lot of wisdom, but you find him preferring silence over talking. And the, and the Proverbs always talks about how the fool talks a lot and the wise talks very little. Number 10, which is quite interesting, it says avoiding laughter. Laughter with a loud voice, not avoiding smiling and joy, but avoiding laughter. And then the last tip is mindfulness of God. Mindfulness of God. So what St. James is saying, it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I'm happy that God is working in my, in my humble self. Every time God gives me a chance to be humble, like the book of the Psalm 7, Psalm 19, I learn more of who God is. So it is quite important when we show up to prayer, I must fast because it helps me to be humble. I must practice silence because a lot of time in prayer I want to speak, 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 speak and I don't let God any chance to speak. I must read the word of God. Some people say, Abuna, I love to pray, but I can't read the Bible. Well, I'm worried that you're talking to yourself. 
Who are you listening to? Now he goes on talking a little bit about judgment. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges, judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not doer of the law, but a judge. This verse means that people used to do two things. One, they used to speak evil of one another. And number two, you know what happens? They will judge the commandments of God. And we have this happening a lot now in our society where people criticize the word of God. In the book of Psalms, the Psalms even speaks about how we should not slander people in secret. In the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 101 verse 5 says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. Those, so what is the whole point here? God is not only saying, do not judge people out loud. He's saying it's enough that you look at yourself better than everybody around you. It is a big wall that's preventing the flow of the grace inside your heart. Enough walking around thinking that I'm the most righteous person in the room. God loves all his children so much. And I need to look at that because if I don't, my heart will constantly be corrupt. I will have difficulty forgiving people and serving them and praying for them. People, people used, to, even in the Old Testament, even people used to not only judge each other, but judge the law. Like people came in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers 21 verse 5, and spoke against God and against Moses. This is what the verse is. And he told him, you have brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no food, no water, and, and, and our soul loatheth this worthless bread. So people, when they get used so much to judging, what happens is it does not stop at judging people. You start judging everything else around you. And it, Commonly, for example, some parents at home, they might start talking bad about the fathers of the church. But how do you expect your child to go and confess to the priest? How do you expect the child to trust the priest? People talk casually between themselves, oh, the church wastes money and the Pope does this. And but how do you expect people to be joyful in giving, the person who's listening to you. How do you expect them to give joyfully? By the way, I'm gonna just say a comment. We were never raised to be supervisors of the church. God says, blessed are a cheerful giver. 
He never tell you to go and supervise this person, supervise this person. This is something that people picked in the Western culture. Because if you're not aware of all what's happening, you can't judge. You can't make the right decision all the time. Sometimes, for example, you're dealing with somebody who's ill. And you feel like this person is demanding. Every two minutes they call you, every two minutes they ask something. And somebody else wants to help them. If you make that person come across as a demanding person, you might discourage other people from helping them. Same thing with, same thing with helping people financially. If somebody put in somebody's heart to help somebody, and even if you know that this person maybe not, doesn't need as much help, it's not for you to discourage people. Let God do His perfect work in the heart of the people. That's why St. James is connecting everything to the law. If you're judging your brother, you'll also judge the law. And then not only this, he says, then you will judge the lawgiver. Look at verse 12. He says, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy who are you to judge another? You can imagine St. James is yelling. Like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you judge people? You, you forgot your own sins. You forgot your own weaknesses. You forgot that God is the one who brought you here. You forgot that all the things you're depending on can disappear in one minute. Do you know where those people are coming from? Do you know your responsibility? You might deal with somebody who might not be well raised. But you are well raised. Is this something that you worked hard for? Or is this something that you were blessed with? You were something blessed with. Why do I take it as if it's something of my own? Who are you to judge others? He's, 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 very, he's, very, he's very clear. You might, you might see somebody who looks like all were put, put together from outside, but inside they're broken. You might see somebody who seems like they know everything, but those people have nobody to give them encouragement in their life. You might see somebody who are very, very uh, quiet, but you don't know how anxious they are. Who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? Even our Lord Jesus Christ, when they brought him the sinful woman in a condition where he can judge her. When he told the Pharisees, if any one of you without sin, throw the first stone. Every person knew the reality. Every person knows the reality. We come to church very thankful and very humble that God opened his doors for us. We don't deserve it. I come and I must be extremely humbled by what the Lord did. 
is, is, continuing, is continuing a bit more of like, you know, it's almost like you can think of St. James as yelling at this point. says, come now, you know, come now. Like it's kind of, let me tell you even more. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city, spend the year there, buy and sell and make a profit. It says, you know, like those people, so in antiquity, by the way, obviously the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, people, there was, before that, there was the Greek who established roads and everything. So a lot of people used to do commerce and all that stuff. So the roads were quite dangerous. But in the ancient time, to boast about something was actually a virtue. And it was also a ritual. Like if you're going to war, you will say tomorrow we'll feast inside these walls. Yeah, Even you might see it in some of the old movies. People, the idea of like taking pride and boasting on what will happen tomorrow was something common in antiquity. It was even a common saying in the antiquity, how can you have confidence in the face of the enemy? The answer is to boast. So what St. James is saying, you got used to boast so much, but what you have learned from society. You know, like in our society, it's the same thing. You can do anything you want, work hard and you will get this. Boasting mainly about your own ability and your own self uh, uh, goals. and It's all about what you, 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 you want to do. It's the same thing. Nothing changed over time. And that's why in Jeremiah 9, God has a very famous verse. says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his richness. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. For I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declare the Lord. Anytime people boast, oh, you don't know how much I made in stock markets. We don't know how many, how many girls I can get. Or you don't know how much, how much promotion I'm getting. Or you don't know this. Anytime we're boasting, God is saying, here you are, you are completely out of your mind. Who do you think you are? Come now. St. James is telling you, come now, let me give it to you. That's kind of what he's saying. Okay? He's telling them, you're out of touch with reality. You're out of touch with reality. It says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. You boast about tomorrow, but you don't know what will happen to tomorrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. What is your life? What is it? It's vapor. Comes, people see it vanishes some people think and I'm sure we all a lot of us share this I believe I'm gonna live for the next 20 30 years and I'm living as I am gonna live for sure for the next 20 30 years and God says how do you know how do you know the future 
The reality is the people who are trying to please you will change tomorrow and they will move on. Most people that you know today, you might not know them in 20, 30 years. The reality is every record that was accomplished is meant to be broken. The richest man today will not be the richest man tomorrow. Even our own health and mental ability gets weaker with time. That's why God even makes us all see this. You know, kind of, um, used to, used to, you know, recently used to kind of get, you know, get to me, when you get on a treadmill or something, it tells you what's the heart rate for every age group, right? And you get older, then you have to be careful about your heart rate. You can't do too much. Everything around you reminds you that your life is simply vanishing. Technology is spreading like growing as a rocket. So what you, what you know today, what the skills you have today, probably in five years, six years, ten years could be obsolete. Now we have artificial intelligence and all these new things. Who knows what they will do? So the scripture is saying, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Why are you acting like you're going to live forever? Why are you acting like everything is in your hands? He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do, so, and do this or that. The problem is, is that people need to actually physically make a statement. That's why, you know, it's important, by the way, what we believe is reflecting, reflected in our speech. And you see this a lot with a lot of the bishops, a lot of the fathers say, with God's will, God's grace, it's repeated. It's not repeated only as simply as words, but it's also as a reminder of what we believe in. As a reminder of where my mind should be. Inner realization that I don't know what will happen tomorrow. That God is in control. The simple word can even help us as human to regulate our own emotions. Not too much excitement in the future, not too much sadness about the past, because God's will is in control. That's why in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow. For you do not, do not know what tomorrow will bring forth. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.